0: This is the Ruminant Podcast. I'm Jordan Marr. The Ruminant is a website dedicated to sharing good ideas for farmers and gardeners. On the website, you'll find my podcast, The Odd Essay, book reviews, tool reviews, and user-submitted photos of their own farming and gardening practices. It's all at ruminantpod.com. I hope you'll check it out. All right, let's do a podcast. Hi, folks. A short intro this week. In a minute, you'll hear part two of my interview with Cameron Smith and Dana Ewert, the chef owners of Joy Road Catering in BC's Okanagan Valley. They graciously sat down with me to talk about their business and their work with local farmers and how relationships with chefs can be managed to everyone's benefit. You heard part one last week, and part two is queued up to go in uh, just a minute. Other than that, I'll remind you that The Ruminant is also a blog. And recently on the blog, I've posted an essay about why the term rock star, as applied to farmers of renown, concerns me a bit. Even makes me a bit grumpy. There's also a post in which I share my rudimentary but very effective system for keeping track of CSA orders on distribution day. And going back a bit further, you'll find a somewhat true account of my 2014 farm season that features a video of the farm's pet black widow set to Neil Diamond's done too soon. And some really beautiful photography taken by our good friend and photojournalist Ian Stewart. The ruminant.ca is where you'll find all of this and a lot more. All right. And now here's part two with Cam and Dana. I hope you enjoy it. Cam and Dana, can we talk a little bit about quality in general? And I just want to kind of like get into what types of quality are almost crucial in terms of what you expect from your uh, suppliers versus types of, let's just call them blemishes or other substandard quality that you tend to be able to work with. And just in the context of trying to explain to someone who hasn't Supplied restaurants like where their quality needs needs to be right there and where where there's some flexibility Does that make sense? Like I mean,
1: yeah, it makes total sense I, I, But it's a very difficult question to answer. I think chefs are notoriously hard to nail down um, for that I mean for, for myself personally, I would much rather there be really great flavor there and a couple bug holes or a couple specks or something like that on the product, uh, but other guys are going to tell you that it has to, you know, a lot of other guys are going to be much more concerned with the way it looks than the way it actually tastes.
2: I think for chefs a lot and of the time it's a precision thing about cooking times. So for example, if you say to a farmer, I need 75 carrots that are going to be um, the thickness of my thumb and five inches long Mm -hmm. and I want them all to be standard like a standard size if you can give me 150 pieces and we're happy to pick through them and as long as we get 75 pieces that are exactly what we need that are going to cook at the same rate then we're happy with that but um if there's going to be a lot of bug holes in them or if there's going to be a lot of inconsistency and knobbiness and you know just let us know we can still buy your carrots we'll use them for another purpose but um as long it's a, it comes down to communication thing again. Once
0: again, yes, yeah.
2: yes, you could Yes, I can provide you with 150 carats that you can pick through. Yes, I can guarantee that you'll get 75 nice, perfect size ones. Um, it's it's just a matter of being honest about yes, I can fulfill your needs, or no, I can't.
0: So, can you think of a couple examples of like something that shows up where you're where you're just like, fuck, like
1: mm-hmm. oh no. I mean, I, you you talk. Com- common ones are like fennel and leeks they're bolting yeah you know the center of it's like totally woody and hard completely
2: Um, unusable just huck it in stock and we paid a premium for it yeah
1: yeah. (laughs) greens are a really funny one because I mean one farmer will bring me the most beautiful looking pristine flavorless greens and the next guy will bring me something that's full of flavor and is full of dirt and full of bug holes and yeah yeah it's it's that's what I mean it's kind of you got to you got to talk to your to your customer and figure out exactly what they want these things for and what they're doing with them.
0: And you mentioned, I mean, in our last conversation, you mentioned arugula and steminess. I mean, I mean, so so I imagine sometimes the stuff shows up that's beautiful stuff, the flavor or ultimately the aesthetic. But there's a little bit extra more processing than you anticipated. Is that right?
1: Yeah, and I mean that's. Again, I think that's something that's really important to work out in in the relationship with with whoever the farmer would be selling to. Because, you know, I think that some kitchens would be very happy to take something that needs a little extra processing as long as they're not paying that super premium price for it, right? You know, if I'm paying a super premium price, I expect things to come in in a condition that's pretty much ready to go. Yeah. Um, Sometimes things hold a lot better when they're still covered in their dirt than they do if they come in beautiful and washed and clean right mm-hmm. so I mean that's that's another question your too.
2: pricing should reflect the quality of your, or the of the amount your product of, or the
1: amount of work that's
0: left to do to get
2: that exactly.
1: product to the plate
0: right um so I mean it just seems like the running theme is growers and other farmers should try as hard as possible not to surprise you on delivery day to mm-hmm. so just to have you knowing ahead of time how things are showing up or figuring out what your expectations are yeah just product. ask
2: that's the only you know, it's easy to do.
0: Just don't don't just shoot assume. us a text don't message assume.
2: saying, you know, I have all these carrots that you need. Um, some of them But are,
0: but my irrigation system is shut down for the winter and so you should know you're gonna have to spray them because of
2: Yeah, because you're I have can't Because it's and late in the season. At that point we'll make an educated decision. So educating us about your needs and your requirements is important and we're happy to listen and judge and And make calls based on that we're not not necessarily gonna say no (laughs)
1: right
0: right
2: definitely for us anyway we're pretty much always gonna say yes yes we can work with that but we need to know we need to know we need an extra cook in the kitchen to wash those carrots and scrub around the tops and you know it's gonna take some extra time and we're happy we just need to know
0: and and Danny you just mentioned a little a minute ago price and I wanted to talk about the topic the subject of prices so I'm just gonna start off by asking you how often do either of you end up on some level discussing price like with your growers? Because as your supplier, it doesn't come up very often. You don't often challenge me on prices. The odd time you do, and I've encouraged you to do that, but I mean, does it come up very often? And, and I guess also, um,
1: I guess we've been at this long enough that I've, you know, I work with people for the most part who are who are reasonable and educated about their prices? Uh, I'm not going to tell anybody what they should charge for anything, but there's certainly thresholds I'm willing to pay and not to pay. Right?
2: We're an anomaly in that we're at the farmers' market every week as well, so we can kind of see how the season we've and we've been at it for you know eight years, <laughs> so we kind of we've seen the cycle of the seasons happen, and we know sort of what all like 40 different growers at the farmers market are charging for products and we realize that the market requires extra work you've got to bundle things in tiny little amounts and um they have to be super clean and presentable and it it, it takes extra work you've got to bring things to market whereas we're buying things in large quantities and bins and just weigh them and that's it mm-hmm. um you don't have to package them you don't have to spend the time yeah bundling them bunching them um packaging them like it's it's different for us we'll buy wholesale from a lot of the growers at the market um and they're a lot of them are happy to do that they're like great i don't need to spend that extra time put that extra love and effort and work into something um so again the price should reflect that amount of work um but yeah we've i think we've seen we've we're pretty we're pretty educated about what things should cost and as long as we know if a farmer comes to us and says oh look this is what happened and this is what i had to put a whole bunch of extra work into this to bring it to you or to market we're totally happy to pay as long as we we know
0: right but on the subject of not knowing like sometimes cam is an example you're in a hurry and you order something for me where that you haven't ordered before and so applying that to any one of a number of growers who supply you do you ever end up getting like surprised when you see the invoice? Yep. Like Does that happen very regularly?
1: Yeah. I mean, it happens when you deal with new growers. It happens when you deal with growers who are
2: growing growing new new. product.
0: Um, Yeah, it happens. And would you encourage a new grower to just simply like I've found, I mean, I trust you guys. So often if it's a new product that I'm not used to selling, I'll just ask you, often it's cam cause I'm on the phone with cam usually, but I'll just say like, what, what's the going rate? I mean, yeah, we'll I,
2: look through all our, our invoices from our other farmers and, mm-hmm. and look online and look at past years. We have all of it documented. So we're easily able to look through back emails and um, fresh sheets that people have sent us over the years and yeah. figure, figure out what a, a fair market value is for those ingredients. Um, and again, if something goes wrong and you need to put extra work into things, we're happy to we're happy to pay it
0: but be able to justify it i guess right exactly yeah okay so i have one just one off quick question which is um whether it matters much to you how you get invoiced and how payments are done whether that's a factor that a a, someone who wants to start supplying restaurants need to consider does it is there a a system or a way that is you prefer
1: yeah that's an interesting question because i mean i I think a lot of farmers, especially people who come from a farmer's market background, are used to operating in cash. Um, and I think that operating in cash is, is obviously nice and I, I understand the appeal to that, but it doesn't work very well for somebody who's running a business who's trying to write things off. Um, I understand that some restaurants are notoriously slow at paying and that can be something that you have to really guard against as a, as a supplier. Um, so a lot of a lot of bigger supply companies will do credit cards and just build that into their costs so that they make sure that they get paid immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, my preferred method of payment is, is checks. I can write checks every two weeks and get them to people and I'm really I'm really conscious about making sure that everybody gets paid. but I'm not saying that every business owner is is as considerate in that department. Um, so I think that you are taking a little bit of a risk supplying, some restaurants and that's where I think a lot of the what I was talking about before about this whole relationship being a two-way street is really important you know it's important that as a a restaurant or as a as a consumer I can trust that my farmers you know using good growing techniques and gonna deliver on time and bring me excellent product at a reasonable price and they need to trust that I'm gonna I'm gonna pay my bills and that I can be relied on as a for a good business deal.
0: Okay, so I'm going to ask one or both of you to put yourself in my shoes and give me some give, but as a new, say a new supplier to restaurants, and just give me some that new supplier some potential advice. If they're those those suppliers are going to be understandably a little cautious at first with a new restaurant they're supplying until they build that trust. But you're recommending they just go for the invoice system because it's much better for the restaurant, which makes total sense to me. But how? When do you start getting worried? Like, how 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 long would you recommend they be patient if they've never worked in so a new restaurant? They've just started supplying them. They're supplying them once a week. At what point do you start to tamp down on on the in, you know the number of unpaid invoices? Is it two weeks? I is think, it four weeks? Is I think it six whenever
2: weeks? whenever you're uncomfortable, whenever you feel uncomfortable, you go and talk to people about that kind of thing. I would say I would say three weeks a month is too too long to go.
0: So you're supplying a restaurant, within a month, you should not feel overly demanding to have a polite conversation to say, hey, can I get a check?
2: No, whatever your needs are, um, I wouldn't go the next day. I wouldn't go, maybe not even within a two-week period, because that's Mm -hmm. usually what what the standard sort of industry pay period is, Mm -hmm. is every two weeks. Um, And occasionally, like if you didn't get your invoice in at a certain point, you might need to, it might it might be normal to wait a month if you missed the pay period for the two week pay mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be worried up to a month, but any time after that I'd probably say something. Hey, you know.
0: And 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 a, uh, so, and, a and a new uh, new supplier shouldn't feel rude or out of place. No, definitely most
2: definitely not. No, that's mm-hmm. their money they've earned it um what we do for our invoicing system for with our clients is we uh we have a contract that we have people sign at the very beginning mm-hmm. i know a lot of farmers want to have a signature on every single um invoice that they like they keep a copy mm-hmm. um, this is with our meat suppliers and all of our different suppliers mm-hmm. um they'll we'll sign one invoice they take it with them so that's our that's our commitment to them mm-hmm. in writing that we're going to pay that bill so yeah um That should make them feel pretty good Mm -hmm. Uh, if you want to work it that way our bigger suppliers how how they work is the same the way that we do with our invoicing system is we sign a contract at the beginning of the season saying here's our credit card number (coughs) excuse me here's our credit card number you keep it on file if we don't pay within a certain amount of time Mm -hmm. you're like welcome to charge our credit card i
0: see I wasn't even aware that, that yeah. that's a, that yeah. was a that's common practice. Yeah, that's how it works
2: with bigger suppliers. Um, they keep that card on file, and they just and they, they just, just go ahead and that charge. And you just go ahead and charge that card. As long as you are upfront and you let people know that within a certain time period, if they haven't paid, that you're going to just go ahead and put it through on a credit card. Say like after, for example, if they don't send you a check within a month, yeah, you just go ahead and charge their credit card. It's but I mean, most,
1: most farmers don't have the ability to take credit cards and stuff, right? Yeah. No. Um, I, I would say that if you're entering into a new relationship with somebody you don't know at all, I, I might ask for payment for the first couple of weeks just until you become more comfortable. Yeah, right. Um,
2: or at least get a signature, which is a promise. Yeah. Which is a legal binding sort of
1: But I would promise. also say that it, it would be important to get to know the people who you're supplying to, right? So yeah. So you have a... A trusting relationship. Right? And ask around. Because they're not going to put up with... They're not going to want to keep having to stop their day and write checks forever. Yeah, right. You know? So, I mean, maybe they might go for it once or twice, but they're not going to keep going for it forever. So. Yeah. Ask around. Talk to other people. I mean, most of the communities that we're in, whether it's a big city or a small town, restaurant communities and farmer communities or tight-knit groups, you know, you, people people gain reputations for reasons.
0: Hey, I took on a new... Restaurant buyer this year, and I received cautions from various people, a couple other growers, a, a couple other chefs, and I considered it. I, you know, I still supplied the restaurant, and ultimately, I had, I, I I've had some problems. No. And And uh, you know, so there's an example of where perhaps I should have just really heeded that advice and not gone there. And of course, it's always against like, oh, I'd really love to take, have another good. Buyer. I mean, they were buying lots of stuff from me, right? So anyway, okay, so look, I want to finish on one last topic. I would love to talk about the role that you chefs play in the food culture, but more specifically, there is an attitude that certainly exists that, you know, supp- uh, growers like me who supply chefs, we're just Feeding rich people, and it's this this super elitist thing. And what you do, in a sense, is elitist, and that sort of thing. And I'm just wondering. I imagine you must have opinions on that. And I'm just so. I guess it's a two part question. What role do you think you you play in the food culture in in general? But but also, how do you feel about what's your reaction to that potential criticism that that in supplying you, I'm just I'm just participating in an elite kind of activity, and and you're you're only also it's a
2: really good question, Farmer Jordan. And uh, I'm not sure how to begin answering it, but in a, in a way, I guess you could paint yourself as a Robin Hood. But that sounds really <laughs> awful. <laughs> but in a way, it's kind of true. Like, a lot of... I feel really good... I almost sometimes feel better about this. Like, we'll we'll feed a group of people whether they're rich or they're not like we cater mostly mostly weddings big Mm -hmm. weddings so it's guests coming in and if you want to call weddings elitist if you or whether you just want to call them a celebration Mm -hmm. they're not expensive menus that we're doing um it's just the number of people that are we're providing for Mm -hmm. we're able to afford to buy good good quality product and and not have it cost a lot because the numbers make it make sense but um yeah, uh, there's often a lot of leftovers from events like that, and where do you mm-hmm. think they go? They go to the soup or or the women in need, or they go to feeding all of our cooks, feeding all of our animals, like we scrape the plates and we're careful about keeping things cold, and that goes to our pigs and that mm-hmm. goes to our chickens, and there's never any waste. But I feel really good about finishing a farmer's market and taking any leftover cinnamon buns that were fresh baked that morning down to the Salvation Army. And there are guys who expect us and they, and they're waiting there for us and they're like, Joy Rhodes here. And they, the, just the look on their faces when they get those cinnamon buns, like Mm -hmm. be it me selling it to a child who saved their allowance all week or to someone who, who can afford to buy it or, or being like giving it away. I mean, I, I feel good about feeding people and they, it, it doesn't, it's not a class thing. It's just if people are getting joy out of it and they're, I don't know. Do I sound ridiculous? I think you a sound off topic. Off topic, yeah.
1: No, not totally. But
0: let's go with you then, Cam. Like, do you do you lose sleep at night at, at, at being a high-end chef who cooks high-end food, often for a wealthier segment of the population?
1: Can I start with the first question? Yep. I think that chefs are underappreciated... In the, I know that sounds kind of rich for me. Um, in in the relationship between farmers and consumers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if I think back to when I first started out in the, in the in the cooking industry, you know, we had these beautiful little salad greens that were all like cute and looked awesome on a plate, and you couldn't buy those in the grocery store yet. Mm-hmm. You know, now you can buy the little bags of. Spring mix everywhere mm-hmm. that that was a trend that started with farmers to restaurants and has expanded into a you know billion dollar a year business or something like that, you know things like heirloom tomatoes, heirloom vegetables in general um, yeah, that stuff has always been available at a farmers' market, um, but I mean the big consumers of that stuff and the big drivers of that stuff to get that stuff out to the public were chefs we' were, we're restaurants you know that's mm-hmm. who was buying it that's who was pushing it. I think that the chefs are have always been integral in trying to dig up new ingredients and find new new markets for things that maybe didn't exist before um, and I think that that has gone a long way to fuel this local movement which a lot of small scale farmers are now recipients of at farmers markets and stuff like that because consumers are going out and saying hey you know I, I had this vegetable the other day at restaurant W mm-hmm. you know, where can I get that from? Oh you get it at the farmers market go mm-hmm. down and talk to um, I'm not saying that, that that the farmer's market thing or heirloom vegetables didn't exist before restaurants did, but I think that they've really gone a long way towards towards bringing this stuff into the mainstream and towards maybe supplying a living for those people who are now judging the farmer who sells to a restaurant. Mm-hmm.
2: I think that um, being a farmer and being a chef are not that dissimilar and that mm-hmm. we're all activists in a way and we're all involved with... We're the gatekeepers, man. Like we're encouraging everyday people to eat eat well, and
0: Try whatever things.
2: your income bracket is, mm-hmm. like, like look, it's
0: I look. I agree with you. I typically don't make any apologies for the port, the large portion of my business that depends on these high end chefs that are thankfully willing to pay me good prices for my produce. As and far I, as
1: the high end question goes. Um, I've dealt with this a lot because, you know, when you deal with a certain segment of the population, the the farmers in particular, um, a lot of them don't make a ton of money. And they look at a lot of, you know, maybe the dinners that I host or the restaurants that you supply as being very expensive. Um, And a lot of farmers and food safety activists are concerned with feeding the people as, as they absolutely should be. Uh, I think that, that that's a crucial part of this is to have some sort of food security um, where everybody can afford or where everybody has access to healthy ingredients. But I don't think that the access to healthy ingredients, sh- the burden of that should be borne by the farmers. Mm-hmm. I disagree with that, that we need to, you know, make sure that we can all get tomatoes at 50 cents a pound. That we keep our prices lower. that's all enough, I can yeah. afford. Yeah. You know, and... We just recently went on a trip to Europe, and I mean, in Italy, the economy's not doing terribly well right now. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, that's not breaking news for anybody. But they still put a real priority on eating well.
0: At the expense of other, at the expense put, of other, other luxuries in their lives You look yeah. at
1: all the things that we've piled on in our lives in the last 20 years, cell phone bills, cable bills, internet bills, you know, that's a that's couple hundred dollars a month mm-hmm. for most people. Yeah, Europeans will average well over 30% of their disposable income spent on, 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 food. on food. yeah. North America, last time I looked, I think it was like a 12% or something like that, right? Yeah. So I think that there's a real confusion between the fact that I am charging a fair price for what I do and the mo- most people who pay it tend to be wealthy mm-hmm. because, yes, we have a lot of wealthy clients, but we also have a lot of clients who have saved up for this important day mm-hmm. or for this... Vacation in their lives or whatever who have chosen to make this a priority over having a golden dress or you know whatever it is people people spend a lot of money on a lot of different things and I think it's a question of what your priorities are more than hey that's for rich people Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there's definitely a danger sometimes that some farmers are taking advantage of the local movement and being in the city at a certain farmers market and charging a lot of money for stuff. Mm-hmm. You know Cherries are a good example of that. You know, I can I can get some decent organic cherries around here for two fifty a pound if I'm buying in bulk. Go to the farmers market in Vancouver; it's five bucks a pound.
0: More sometimes. Man. Go to the
1: farmers market in Calgary. I hear stories of nine, ten bucks a pound mm-hmm. for organic cherries. You know, obviously there's there's travel costs and everything else, but there's just a lot more competition here, and I think that the prices remain. Maybe two fifty isn't enough. Maybe mm-hmm. five bucks is too much. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not going to judge that. But what I am going to say is that it's important that the farmer stay in business and be able to make a living. Mm-hmm. It's important that the chef be able to stay in business and make a living, because if you're not in business, you can't make the choices to support certain farmers or certain suppliers, and to try to educate certain clients. Yeah. Um, so I think it's important to run a a sustainable business. And that means you know, being able to pay your people and being able to make a living and being able to support growers and suppliers that, that you want to support. Um, I think if you want to go for that 1% segment of the population, then.
0: And I, I have to imagine that leaving aside celebrity chefs who might do very well, one reflection of, of, of all of this is that, like farmers, it's not like the average chef is not getting rich off of...
2: Oh, God, no. Off
0: of... No. Off of cr- preparing this wonderful food.
2: Definitely not. Nope. <laughs> but we're food professionals, and it's mm-hmm. it's our responsibility to get... I Yeah, I'll say it again. it's I really feel like it's our responsibility to share that with people, have people eat. That's our mission anyway at Joy Road is to like have people eat well. And... Um,
0: Well, you do it well. And uh, so with that, Cam and Dana of Joy Road Catering, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast.
2: No problem. Thanks for having us.
0: All right, that was the episode. I hope you enjoyed it, everyone. Next week, you'll hear my interview with Nathaniel Johnson of grist.org, who sat down with me recently to talk about his very, very thorough and very interesting series of blog posts he wrote on the GMO debate which is called These panic-free GMOs. Life like so that's next week
3: and I guess I will talk to you then Fred, honey I've got a plan to make our final escape all we'll need is each other a hundred dollars and maybe a roll of duct tape and we'll run right outside of the cities reaches we'll live Chestnuts, spring water, and peaches Will owe nothing to this world of thieves And live life like it was meant to be place that don't want us, a place that is trying to bleed us dry. We could be happy with life in the country, with salt on our skin and the dirt on our hands. I've been doing a And my final resolve I don't need a big old house Or some fancy car To keep my love going strong So we'll run right out Into the wilds and braces. We'll keep close quarters With gentle faces And live next door To the birds and the bees And live life like it was meant to be But I...